Jacob, I have a question for you. I heard some news today about you and some success you might have had. And it's got me a little worried because now I'm thinking, oh, yeah, great. You got me over somewhere and now you're going to leave. I sure hope you're not going to leave. Tell us about it. Oh, my goodness. You what know, is the news? Well, for people who don't know, I had finished my dual degree, my my dual master's degree um, from Dallas Baptist University here in Texas uh, last summer. Um, so right before or right as kind of or right before everything kind of shut down, kind of right around then. But I'd already finished. Um, I and I got it in my master's in curriculum instruction and administrative leadership. And I did both because I wasn't sure which way I wanted to go or what I wanted to do. And I had done my, in Texas, we have what's called a PASL, which is essentially a portfolio of work that you do to get um, certified in, to become a principal in Texas. I I did that along with my coursework because if you don't, it's really impossible to do because you have to do it. Like you have to do it during the school year because there's a, Mm -hmm. there's an action research element. There is um, like, there's things that you have to actually implement at your campus to actually put it together. And then you submit it um, to the state, they grade it and you pass that. But there's a second half of the test to become the, to get your principal certification, which is the multiple choice test. I didn't take the multiple choice test because COVID was going around. They had a lot of the testing centers were closed and the ones that were open had like this huge backlog. And I was just like, you know what? I know I'm not going to want to shoot for this right now. So I'll just wait. So I waited a year. And then as school was starting this year, I just like woke up one morning and I go, you know what? I should probably register for that and like get it done. (laughs) Like, and just like, and and, like knock it out. Right. Like get it over with because I don't want to wait too long. Um, my, uh, for anyone who's ever done this before, like your college has to like approve you because they don't want you failing the test and having to retake it. So they gave me this practice exam. I did, uh, as well as I needed to without studying, um, on the practice exam. So they gave me the go ahead. I registered for the test like $200 and I go and take this five hour test, which by the way, the first, like in my original content test I ever took, they would just do you like your thumbprint on stuff. I had to do my mm-hmm. palm on this one, like my entire, really? yeah, my entire oh. palm, multiple times. I had to do it at the front desk and then I had to do it when I, when I walked back before I walked in just to make sure like I didn't have a body double, I guess. <laughs> Wow. I mean, it was like high security. Like I had a hat on. They made me take it off. Like I couldn't wear my hat in there. They checked like my whole body. I mean, every, like the whole nine yards of like this secret test, right? So this is serious. Yeah, very serious. So anyway, I go in there. It's a five-hour test. I have taken um, the pedagogy test that we have to take in Texas. I've taken the generalist test. I've taken the ESL test. And none of them, I really never took more than three hours on any of them. And I obviously passed all of them. This principal one, I took all five hours of this test to do it because Uh it's like 70 questions plus four essay questions. Which are very long. And so I was like, and I didn't study, right? Because I'd passed the practice test. I was like, eh, I'll be okay. And I just kind of oh went my. in. <laughs> I didn't look at one practice material. I just went in and um, 
it, it went pretty good. I, I was confident about most of the answers. It's just it's hard to judge because there's there were so many answers that had like multiple things. Like there was a lot of questions that were like, you know, the parents are concerned about this, and then it shows you a survey teacher progress and then like data. So there's a lot of data analysis on it. I mean, it was, it was a lot. And, uh, anyway, I took up the whole time and I was like, Oh my God, I don't know what I did. Maybe I didn't fail. And la- the other day, last night I got the results and I passed, which means I'm fully Yay. certified to jump into admin when I feel like it. So to answer your question though, this fear, am I leaving? Am I not? Here's the thing. I, have the door open now. The door is open whenever I decide to walk through. I love teaching. I'm obsessed with it. I've talked many a times, both on Teach Me Teacher and on this podcast, about how when I was a literacy coach, it was like the worst job I'd ever had, besides running into you and becoming besties. All right. All right. Um, there you go. But other than that, I mean, I really didn't enjoy it. And that's always, that's made me gun shy. But literacy coaching and admin is a little bit different. But I, I think it's just going to come down to, uh, whenever I get tired of thinking about how to do things better and jumping into actually being able to make executive decisions about how to do things better, um, I think that's going to be a big portion. And when an opportunity arises that I just can't turn down. Right. And I, I think it's always going to be difficult. I don't think I'm ever going to want to officially leave the classroom, but you know, there's always, I have a little trick up my sleeve, which is, I've always wanted to build a school and I've always wanted to, to kind of do what Ron Clark did in Georgia, but do it in Mm -hmm. Texas and create something that is not only an experience for kids and whatnot, but also partners with public education in a really good way, like serve as a different model for a smaller organization that can really serve public education, whether it's the Chastain Academy or some other type of name is up to be determined, but just having this in my back pocket now gives me all kinds of avenues to go, okay, what magic do I want to help make happen? Where do I want to put this effort? So that's that. I mean, I, I don't have any direct plans to do anything, but I can't make any promises to anybody anymore. The doors are open, Miss Ocho. I don't know where they're going to go. Well, with that, everyone, welcome to Craft and Draft. This is Pam Ochoa, and that person who has open doors is Jacob Chastain. I think, though, we just started our first year together again as um, colleagues in the same building. So how was your, uh, how'd it go this week for you, Jacob? Other than you had to put, you know, ship me up into, you know, ship shape me a little bit, you know, tell me what to do. Other than that, how did it go for you? You know, I really, I think you were just asking a lot of questions I didn't have answers to. So I, you were shipping me up into. Oh, there you go. That's what it was. Putting you into shape. Yeah. You got to see how I really do run a department. (laughs) Yeah. Like when I said, Jacob, when are we going? And you go, I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out when we find out. You know, I, the. I'm not very organized. That's one of my goals this year is to be more organized because I I just flow, right? I'm a a global thinker. I think in terms of big concepts and and big uh, movements, and that goes from department leading to teaching to everything, to the podcast. Uh, The details are, 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 are secondary to me. The details get worked out over time. And luckily, I'm surrounded by people who care about details, so they help me work those out. But I don't know. I thought this year 
went really well. One thing I was saying, there's a lot to talk about here. The I, I want to start with the new building, though, just because that's what I'm thinking mm-hmm. about currently is, you know, we've been in this small building that was made in the 50s. You know, it's probably had asbestos everywhere. Like all the tiles on all of my classrooms for the last eight years have always been coming up and there's always been leaks in the building. And we had these really loud air conditioners that worked, um, but they were very loud. And one thing that I've noticed is it's just the it's it's like a whiplash feeling of the culture of the school. It's uh, the kids are the same and the, you know, the teachers are the same, but the the feel of the hallways, for instance, are just different. And it's like, it's, it's almost sad to say because the new building's beautiful and it's wonderful and I'm very thankful to have it, but it's like, it kind of lost its, the, the, what I, the culture, you know what I mean? Like the culture of just what the mm-hmm. building feels like. I was talking to a, a friend of mine, friend of the show, Stacy Hammer, who has been on the podcast. She was my English teacher or whatever, you know, Stacy. Yeah, she uh, she was telling me she felt the same way when Richland High School was rebuilt. That there was a there was a, a loss of just that that original feeling of what the campus was like, and that that's yeah. that, I didn't expect that. Like walking through that mix master. Yeah, exactly. I taught right? at Richland High School. I taught. I, we had a big old fight right in the middle of that mix master. <laughs> oh my goodness, we had to have SWAT and everything because they are. We were, um, you know. The rebels, and we had a flag that looked like the rebel flag, and you were there because you—I don't know if you were there when that was. Were you? Did you go to school? That was already gone. Yeah, you know, my brother was though. So my brother was a—you might have met my brother now that I think about it in, in a strange <laughs> way. Like y'all at least have. might have run into each other, but <laughs> he was there. And this is funny when, for people. When did he, yeah. Oh man, I don't even know when he graduated. I'd have to ask him. Um, He didn't graduate from Richland. He graduated from someone else, but he went to Richland High School. He was on the football team for a while, but he went when, you know, people that don't know this, like uh, the high school, like it was the rebel flag, you know, the, they they ended up changing it, but you were there when that controversy was was going down. I was there and, uh, oh my goodness, we had a big old riot right there by my room and I had ninth graders and bless their Hearts, literally, and that is Southern saying, but I'm telling you, they were like on the ground, hands and knees, crawling, and I was down on the floor with them, pulling them into my room. Uh, it went crazy, and the way the building was set up, we would get rid of one group, but then they would go around and come back another way, because you could get into the school many ways, and that was before we locked all the doors. That was before... You had the lockdowns, and I mean, this would have been a lockdown moment, but that was before we had all of that. So anyway, it was, uh, we were pulling kids in, and then one girl got hit up against the wall, and she got knocked out, and I went down with her to keep her head from hitting the floor, and then I pulled her into a room. It was a, it was an exciting moment. The next day, we had the SWAT there because they were threatening more stuff. We had the NCAAP there, and and uh, anyway, needless to say, that was a nice argument to get rid of the flag. So we had a student re uh, redesign the flag, and I think they still use it today. Well, no, but, they uh, don't because was... recently they changed. Oh, did to they the change Royals. it again? Well, they be, they're the Royals now. Okay. But yeah, they're the Royals. Yeah, they had to change their name because they were the Rebels, and now they're the Royals. So I bet it's changed again, the flag. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. 
But anyway, yeah, it was uh, it was an interesting time. And that year, uh, because of where my classroom was, and we had that was not the only fight we had. That was the that was the culminating huge riot. And um, but anyway, that year, you know, at the end of the year when they have those faculty meetings and things like that, and so the final stuff, and me and the lady across the hall from me, uh, they gave us. Uh, extra gift cards for combat pay. <laughs> That's what they called it. <laughs> Cause we were the ones always breaking up these fights. I mean, there's nothing like you looking down one hall and down the other side of the hall and you're the only woman there. Cause you're in the English department and there's no men and you're yelling, help me, help me. I mean, this is before intercoms. This is before phones in the classroom. I mean, you had you, and that's what you had. And you had to hope that one of those big old football players had your back and would go get help. <laughs> so, yeah, I have a lot of stories from those days. I really do have a lot of stories, but that was my biggest one. But, I mean, minus the the riots and the fighting, there, there was a culture to, like, these old buildings, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, there really was. I mean, it really had a lot of culture. It was just that was that moment, you know, because every yeah. time it would flare up. But, but we were so t- – the problem was I think it could get out of hand so fast because it was – I mean, it was a huge population with small hallways, Right. And it was one little elbow, one little something if you had an agitated person. So, but yeah, for the most part, everybody was used to being close. Um, and Richland's that way. I've been in Richland right in the, you know, in your, the old building. My son went to that old building. So that's why. Yeah. I mean, I it was so, it. it was so packed and, you mm-hmm. know, I didn't realize I would miss that part. Uh, strangely enough that it was, it's just like this wide area and it's, mm-hmm. it, it it just feels so different in in good and bad ways, but it was just uh, that was that was something an experience. But the other thing that I, I talked about this with our team a little bit was, you know, I'd spent the last two years with the same students, and I'd started last year just doubling down on everything we did the year before. So, like the work in terms of like workshop. Like they, they already were aware of the way I did workshop. They were aware of the expectations of writing and the expectations of reading and they just went and there was never a time last year where that was ever in question. And we published so much and we wrote and we did all this and we just started. I mean, we were starting content like day two. And when I saw my students this year, I was like, oh, y'all haven't had me for two years. <laughs> and it was... Uh-oh. And it was like, I, that was another thing I just didn't even think about, I guess, because of all the things going down. But it was, it was a, I feel like I've had a great reset. Like I've had to like recall, okay, so, you know, I'm going back to my own advice. Okay. So how do you build a workshop from kids that, you know, some of them have had workshop and some of them had, you know, we had newer teachers in sixth grade. So a lot of them didn't even experience workshop till later in the year as those teachers, you know, became more trained and whatnot. And a lot of the kids that we have in seventh grade right now weren't even in school last year. True. I have tons. So none, so some of these kids, this is their first middle school experience because they were at home, which I've learned from just talking to them and interacting over the last three days. And I'm like, oh, so not only is this like your first middle school experience, but you've never – the workshop is entirely new. You don't even know the terminology. So it's like I'm having to go deep into the well of like how to do this. And I'm just thinking and like, okay, so we're here and it becomes – building 
uh, everything that I need to build, right? It's it's literally like me just listening back to the podcast and going, okay, so what are the if I if we were giving this advice to a new teacher, what would I do, right? And that is mm-hmm. that was a unique challenge that I I really didn't expect. Oh, huh. and I thought you had all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing, though. Like I'm with all that said, I I really do feel like. Um, but once I left, so, uh, Wednesday, you know, people, we, we had a, for people listening, we have a, what's called leadership, but it was like a, you know, an orientation kind of day. Right. Right. Um, the next day we had our students and then the next day I, we, I'd set up craft and draft with all my students on Friday and I wasn't going to, I was going to wait till this Monday, but I went ahead and did it because, I, I was like, I can't, I I have to, I have to get craft and draft going. It is the core. Like it's become such a core of how I run this, the class. And it's so essential to the workshop for me. I was like, I have to, I have to go. I have to do this. And the kids were into it. They, they did it perfectly. They have their journals, you know, they're like, Oh, we keep them cool. They put them in their back, you know, none of that issue. But once I did that and I left Friday, I felt a lot better Thursday. I was like, Oh no. And then Friday, like once the craft, the draft was going, it was good. But anyway, I mean, how do you, how are you feeling? Cause you're at a new campus. You're, you're learning, you know, not only the, the, the kids and everything else and the procedures, but it's just, you know, it's, a, it, we do things differently at our campus, you mm-hmm. know, we're a lot more free in, in a lot of ways that some places aren't. So how, how are you feeling after we've been back for three days with kids? Well, I think that's why I've asked so many questions is because I don't want to get in trouble. And then you're like, ah, it's all right. It's all right. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You don't understand where I came from. They tell me exactly what to do, when to do it, how to do it. So. <laughs> That is I'm true, like, though. I'm like you, you have had those <laughs> questions, and I, you know, sometimes I feel bad for answering like that, but it's it's literally true. Like mm-hmm. it's like go, just do you. Like this is what we're here for. <laughs> no, and I'm like, wait, wait. I, I, people haven't been wanting me, so I don't know. Uh, so anyway, yeah, no, the, I I'm doing my craft and draft. I'm setting it up Monday. Okay, so but but that uh, so. I did my lesson Friday. We did our little, uh, um, on Thursday, we did the, what was it? Our social contract where we all talked about how we, you know, asked them how they wanted to be treated in the classroom. And so they, we did a little gallery <clears throat> poster walk where they worked in groups and they went around the room. So I already have them up and about. And they're working in groups and they're, they're talking. Of course, you know, right off the bat, I have somebody who goes, well, I can't be in a group with them. I don't get along with them. And I'm like, oh, well, that's not acceptable. We're going to get along. So you're in that group. And I mean, it was like, oh, well, okay then. <laughs> and I just said, it'll be okay. So she got up and got in that group. It all worked out. And uh, they even had a conversation and it turned out like they got along. There wasn't a little any kind of issue. And they all talked about how they wanted to be treated and all of that. We went around and then we looked at the words and from those words, uh, some of them wrote kind and on some of the posters were nice. So we had a conversation between, so I started asking them questions and my questions were things like, is nice and kind synonymous? And they'd say, well, yeah, they mean the same thing. And of course, then I would follow it up with, 
do they really mean the same thing? And you know, when a teacher does that, they're like, uh oh, what, 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 what? So then they start reaching because they don't want to be wrong. So anyway, we had a good conversation. I think the results in most of my classes was nice. You can do, even if you don't like somebody, you can still be nice to them. But kindness comes from the heart is what they decided. So they decided they wanted to be have a class with kindness. Um, so I thought that was kind of a nice conversation. And uh, I think our academic coach walked in during that conversation. So she was she had a smile on her face. So I thought that was a good sign. That was a good sign. Uh, but anyway, that first day, we mainly just talked and we wrote together, like we made lists together. Uh, those kinds of things. Um, then, so, and we talked about all the different words and somebody goes, Ms. Ochoa, you sure like words a lot. And I'm like, oh, they already picked up on it. They picked up on the words and all that. We started with, uh, in my honors class, they wanted to be treated like they mattered. So I asked them the question, what scientifically is matter? And then they, <laughs> they started thinking scientifically about how it's things that take up space. So then I said, okay, well, if it's things that take up space, then what does it mean to matter to someone? And they go, oh, wow, you're asking some hard questions, Ms. Ochoa. So I said, well, let's think about it for a second. And then they came up with the idea that maybe somebody said it. I can't remember who it was, but uh, it, it came out that, well, maybe matter, if somebody matters, that means they take up space in your life. And so you need to recognize them. You can't ignore them. And I said, okay, well, if you want to be somebody that matters in this classroom, then we can't ignore anybody, can we? All ideas are on the table. And so that's kind of how I did it. It turned out to be a really good conversation, but all, all, th all three periods. Then on Saturday, uh, Friday, I did my dream lesson. I did my dream lesson. And uh, I had some resistors. I was really shocked. I mean, I, there were some resistors, you know, people that didn't really want to write. This one kid, he he's like, I don't write. I'm not, I'm not writing. I said, no, you're going to write till I say stop. And uh, what they didn't know is if they would have written, they wouldn't have had to write so long. But I was waiting for everybody to at least get three sentences down on the paper, and then I would stop. Well, he was this one person. He just decided he was going to defy me at all, at all, in all ways. So he just started writing his name on the paper. And he wrote it all the way down the bottom, all the way. I think he had like five rows of his name and, and, uh, you know, and then he wrote on the back his name. And I was, so then I walked by him and he goes, what I've written, I filled up my page. And I said, well, hang on. And I turned his paper to the side and I said, you got a little more room right up here. <laughs> so anyway, so fill all this space. I don't want any blue space. Here's a blue paper I gave him. I don't want any blue space then. I mean, <laughs> so that, that actually, that was the first day. And then the second day on the dream, he decided he wasn't going to write either. He said, I don't have any dreams. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to stay until you write. And then what I had them do is they wrote about what they wanted to be a dream that they might have. And we defined it as a goal or a wish or something that makes them dance on the inside. You know, so we had all these different de definitions. And so he told me he didn't have any dreams. Well, then later on, I had them get up and share. Find What they did is I said, find, reread your paper. And some of them have written two to three pages. And I said, rewrite your paper. I mean, reread it and pick something, a line, words, a paragraph, star it that you wouldn't mind sharing. 
So then I got them up and then they found a partner and then they shared. Then they had to share again. Well, it was funny because all he had was like three sentences to share. So he only could pick one sentence, you know, that he liked. Well, then he came over to me and he entered. I was, I was kind of conferencing with this one, you know, listening in to this one group and he walks right, right there next to him. And he goes, you know what? I think I do have a dream. And then he just, I mean, he had given me such a hard time that whole entire, I mean, like it was a long time. The kids were going, can you just do what she says? I mean, and so he was giving me a hard, so he comes because I do have a dream. I didn't know I had a dream, but I do have a dream. I want to go to Greece. And I went, oh, right. well, that's great. And the two kids that were talking to each other stopped and just started listening. And he was going in and telling me all about the Parthenon and how much he loved the Parthenon and how maybe one day he can even go to Rome. And I said, well, have you read the Rick Rorden? Oh, I've read all of the Rick Rorden books. As a matter of fact, the last one I did. And so he's telling me about that. And then I said, well, maybe this is what you can write about. And he goes, oh, I'm writing a book about it at home. And I went, you're writing a book. And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, why don't you bring your book? And he goes, oh, I do that stuff on a personal time. I don't have time for that in school. And I said, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but I give time to write. He goes, well, that means I'd have to bring a third notebook. And I said, well, then I guess in your case, you'll have three notebooks. And he goes, okay. The kids turn around. He walks off. He's all happy. And I mean, he's given me two days of grief. And these two kids that were listening in, they go, Miss Ochoa, I think that was a miracle. <laughs> it was like, it was precious. So, so I don't know. I mean, you just, I didn't yell anymore. I just said, no, nope, you're going to write. We don't, I, you know, and I accepted his name. That's what he did the first day. And then uh, anyway, it just, I think, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I think, I thought that was some progress in two days, to be honest. Well, it's so funny because, you know, I've never been surrounded by educators who share the same philosophy totally right like we've i've had Mm -hmm. groups and you know uh melinda bannister who i've practically grown up with as an educator she's been on teach me teacher season one but you know her and i have developed kind of at the same rate uh in different ways and but we her and i have survived many uh, versions of this team and whatnot. And mm-hmm. last year I found Burton, who was my partner last year, who is amazing, but she leans toward the reading side and you lean towards the writing side. And now having everyone, it was so funny because I was talking about, I have this middle block right now that they're my, they're my, they're filled with, they have the most energy. They're the most kind of like, they're the, they're the students that like almost all of them in that class are the ones every teacher knows immediately because right. they're the talkers, they're the wanderers, they're the, they have all of the energy and stuff. And and traditionally they're the students who, you know, they get pigeonholed by teachers, right? So they're like, oh, mm-hmm. y'all are the, <clears throat> you know, maybe not the bad kids, but y'all are the quote unquote, like y'all, y'all start stuff and y'all are all aggressive and you know, yada, 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 I don't want to work. And I was like, okay, I got this. And it was so funny because I was like, oh my God, like they're just... A lot of them were just like, you know, I don't read and I don't write. And, you know, it's just after two years of having students who did do those things, it it was like a, you know, there was this like culture shock. And I just remember you going, trust the process, Chastain, just trust the process. And that, you know, this is what I tell myself, right? It's also what I tell other people. 
Right. But it's, it's, it's nice. Do, yeah. Well, it's, it's hard when you're thinking of like all of the reasons why the process might fail. Right. Mm-hmm. When you're like, when, cause it's regardless, right. People who are listening to our conversations, like we, even when we sound confident, like there's definitely like doubt, like every year it's like, Oh my God, is this going to work and stuff? But here's the thing. When I started, when we went into reading time, you know, I have my, uh, with that, especially like my middle group, they, like I had the kids that were jumping in and I even had kids that I was already able to kind of win over. Cause I talked to them a little bit and I gave them a book that was, you know, maybe a little bit edgy for middle school, you know, they're in seventh grade and whatnot. And I already had them like already kind of invested in the storylines because they're, you know, they're just a little bit more mature and whatnot. And then when writing came along, you know, I just started encouraging all these things. And I, you know, I talk about it it's funny because I talk about this in Rightfully Empowered. I had to deconstruct how to do this, but the whole idea of convincing – it's not enough to tell students they have freedom, right? You have to <clears throat> you have to convince them that they have freedom. Mm-hmm. You have to prove it over and over and over again because their whole lives, they have been in classrooms where they didn't have freedom. They right. might have been told they had it, but it was artificial, right? It was like, okay, you can pick out of these three things. That's like it's like an artificial freedom. I want full freedom. I want them I want the canvas as wide as possible, and then I can help them hone that in over time. That's kind of that's kind of my way of working with workshop. And that's a that's a hard process to do with students who are traditionally the ones who are marginalized because they talk a lot or because they get up or because they really can't stop talking with more than like five. Five seconds, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like they just, you know, we, we've all had these students in our classrooms, but when I had this time to write, a lot of them really like they were, they started kind of embracing the process already. And they were, that trust started like on, by the end of Friday, I saw a lot of that trust building and I was just like, okay, it's, it's literally the process of getting them to trust, be comfortable in this. And then when they start when they start believing that their words on the page are something that they get to own, it's, it's such an empowering thing for them. And then it becomes so much less about, Oh my God, I have to write in this class. And it becomes, Oh, what do I want to say today? What is on my mind Mm -hmm. today? How do I put this on paper? And that process is something that I think it, it works time and time again. Sometimes it goes slower. Sometimes it goes faster. Sometimes there's detours, right? But it's, it's that process that is so it's intoxicating to me because it's uh it's 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 almost like a magic and but it's so fun but it makes sense because kids you know this goes back to uh Donald Graves's research and Lucy Hawkins and all them is they they point out is you know kids want to share their stories they want to make their mark they want to put their voices down on page they you know this is why kids scribble, right? They want to make a mark. This is why kids scribble on walls when they're kids and they have markers and crayons and stuff. It's, mm-hmm. it's, they, they want to leave their mark. It's as old as time. This is why cave paintings, people just had their hands everywhere, right? It is something that is embedded in our DNA and to capture that in a school classroom, it really just takes time, perseverance, and routines and procedures that make it uh, a process that is that's achievable by all of your students, and that's that, that's so exciting because I know next week there's going to be hard times. There's going to be kids that are like, you know, they're just like figuring out how to get out of this time and you know how to how to be distracted long enough to where it's over. But I I really do think that uh, 
I think that, you know, it, it's going to win them over. And I, the reason why I'm so confident is because this the week we had that middle block I had. Not only was it a full block, but we didn't have the we usually have a break for leadership at that time. And we didn't. So it was 80. It was about 78 minutes plus 30, which right. is longer than what it was. And they were already reading and writing during that long time. And they were like, oh, my God, the class is already over. And I was like, Psh, I got this. I got this. <laughs> But it's it's well, scary at first. It is. I mean, I'm sitting there that that first day, you know, my first writing assignment was write about whatever you want. And what I had them do is I broke them up into two two groups. Half the class wrote while the other class went and found a book. And I was just kind of watching because that way I could watch them. I could see who quickly went and found a book. I could see who was like, you know, I don't, I don't really want to do this. And then, of course, the writers that would just write their name and not really want to do anything. And then I tie, I did, put a little time on it, and then I switched them. And then the other ones wrote, and then the and then the writers went and read. But anyway, it was neat to the questions that were being asked as I was walking around the room was, well, I, I don't really know what to write. And I said, write about whatever you want. But I don't really have anything to write. And, you know, they all have a story. And I and I said, well, let's just start there. I don't have anything to write. And I can't believe Miss Ochoa is making me do it on the first day of school. You know? And they're like, oh, I can write that. <laughs> Next thing you know, I come back around and they got a whole page of, of stuff. You know? And I said, write whatever you want. If you run out of ideas, write. But you're going to write until I say stop. I don't put a time on it. I don't let them know what the time is. And I know that some people say, give them the two minutes. You put a timer up. My practice has been you write until I say stop. They have no idea when I'm going to say stop. And I tell them it might be two minutes. It might be 10 minutes. It might be until I'm satisfied. It might be until I get finished writing my idea down. And that was another thing I did as I sat down and I wrote. And then I said, well, and we wrote about dreams. And while I was talking to them, I told them, I said, well, I'll tell you what popped just into my head. This is on the free write part. I said, I just now thought about dream sickles. Who knows what a dream sickle is? You know, and I mean, I know that was not like in my original script. That's really what happened. So I think that was my way of thinking aloud and modeling what happens. And I said, so that's what I'm going to write about. It just popped into my head. I'm going to write about dreams. Oh, my goodness. You know why dream sickles popped in my head? Because it reminds me of when my dad would walk through the school because he was a coach and we would go by and get a dream sickle when I'd hang out with him. That was our end to our Saturdays. I love dream sickles. I'm going to write about my dad. Anyway, they're like, you mean we can write about whatever we want? I said, you can write about whatever you want. And they're like, okay. And so the majority of them did. I probably had a resistor and my all-level classes, my, my honors classes. They took to it like fish to water. They loved Shout it. Shout out to Melinda Bannister who had all the honors yes. kids last year because they wow. understand craft and draft. They understand uh-huh. reading expectations. They understand writing. Nothing can be said for a strong vertical team. And we had that in honors. Like I said, the, the on-level kids, tell. not so much just because they were the newer teachers. Um, but Malin was all in with craft and draft. She did it as well as we would. She put her own spin on it, of course, because she's an independent teacher, but they understand it and they do it. And we can, we can see it in our grade, which is, I mean, just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that. And you could really tell, uh, who had her and, and maybe who didn't, um, 
you know, and then the other ones, there was one that really resisted on Friday. I got them for the first day on Friday. And I think I've had this person's family member. I'm telling you, I can tell you stories about if it is the same, because they are like DNA similar. And so I just treated them like I did that other, you know, way back when. And sure enough, after I had them, I got the IEP on the, on the child telling me what I should not have done. <laughs> which I don't know if I handled it very well because I don't, I didn't have the IEP, but it came after I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But you know, he even, he even wrote, he even wrote, wasn't very much, but I, you know, so everybody wrote, that, that was my goal was to have everybody write and everybody read. And you know, uh, he's the only one who didn't read because he, when he came in, he didn't come in at the beginning of class. You know, what's so funny is the, the, the process of finding, Topics, you know, I feel like so so early on, a lot of my conferences are modeling the thinking process that goes with selecting a topic. You know, when we talk about like a lot of teachers push off writing if they don't have a writing test, and mm. one of the, one of the major pieces as to why writing is so rigorous and why it's so valid in every content, but especially English, is it, it teaches so it teaches critical thinking. It teaches. Uh, it teaches breaking down things into subjects. I mean, it teaches so many different aspects of, of cognitive ability. It trains the mind to find out what's important and what's not important. And finding a topic is one of those things, you know, when you're given ultimate freedom to find a topic, you know, just being able to select something that has enough meat on it to write about is a challenge. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I found myself doing was when I was walking around talking with a lot of students, you know, I was just asked them, we did a, we did a, a brief quick list, you know, I, uh, a, a territory, so to speak, um, of topics and ideas and whatnot. And I had them, I, I set the goal of trying to think of five things that are just on their mind right now, five things that they're interested in, that they're thinking about. And some of them got to five, some of them got to 10, some of them got to one. Right. <laughs> and it right. was, but as they were doing that, you know, when I walked around and they were, Oh, they, uh, during writing time, you know, some of them went right to it and some of them struggled. And when I was talking to them, you know, they were talking about like this one girl said, you know, she's, she's thinking about volleyball because they, they had been trying out adjust, and stuff yeah. and they're, and they're going to find out the list of who made it. And I go, okay. So I was like, when you, when she was like, I was like, what do you think about volleyball? And she was like, you know, I just get, I just, you know, I just think about how I get prepared and stuff. I was like, okay. I was like, that's cool. I was like, so how do you get prepared? Like, on, on, like, let's say game day is tomorrow or like you have a big like tryouts are tomorrow. I'm like, how do you get psyched up for that? And she goes, well, my sister does. And I go, oh, really? That's interesting. What does your sister do? And she told me this whole story about like how her sister is like her biggest supporter. Her sister like peps her up with these pep talks. And I go, what if you started with that? Like, what if you started whatever you're writing? Just tell me like, what, what would she say right now? And she's like, you got this. And I said, no, I think that's great. Like what, start with that. Say you got this. And I was like, what if you, I was like, what do you say though? Like when your sister is giving you this pep talk, are you someone who like accepts it or do you doubt yourself? Right. You're doubting yourself as someone's pepping you. She's like, well, I kind of doubt myself. I think I was like, that is something to write about. I was like, I was like, draw the contrast. Talk about how your sister peps you up, but you're doubting yourself internally. I think I was like, I think that's a great way to go. And she didn't get too far, but she, she wrote it down a little bit. And, you know, she was a little distracted. She was still kind of getting used to everything going on. But when she was leaving, she was like, I, I have an idea. I think I'm going to be able to do this on Monday. And I was like, that's where it's at. It's all about, I always tell my students, it's, it, it's, 
I don't need your pen moving all the time. I don't need your pencil moving. Writing happens in the mind. It happens in processing. It, it, you're, there's, there's all kinds of levels to writing that are not physical writing. Teachers get so obsessed. You said something about the timers earlier. I don't use timers either because it's, it's such a – timers put this uh, – this overemphasis on action, right? On mm-hmm. physical action. But anyone who's ever written um, for for their own purposes knows that you sit there and think the majority of the time, right? You write in spurts and, mm-hmm. uh, and you write in like really passionate times and you write in like sections and some days you don't write at all, but you think a lot. And then the next day as your mind processes it, you write more. I was like, the writing workshop should encompass this actual natural process. So I tell the students, I was like, I don't want you, I don't need your pen moving all the time. I need you to be able to think about your writing. And when I come to you for a conference, I need you to be able to talk about it. And I was like, I, it's, it's the, there's not a pressure to write all the time. The pressure is, uh, to, to just make progress, progress. And the, the fact that she's already thinking I can do this Monday, that's what we want every day. You're thinking about the future in your writing as you're, and then eventually by Christmas, right? Now they're thinking at home, they're going, oh, I could write about this in Chastain's class or, oh, this is a great topic I can write about. And it starts bringing it in and it starts, and then eventually we connect the literature to it, right? It's, oh, I really like the way this sounds. I can use that in my writing. And it's that whole bridging of the gap. And it's, it's such a, it's this flow, right? That's what we're trying to capture. We're trying to capture the flow of thought and get kids not just interacting with the content because we tell them to, but to interact with the content because con- our content is life. Reading and writing is literally the life of a cognitive person in the world. And the deeper that becomes, the better they become at processing their emotions, their thoughts, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what we're trying to capture in workshop, right? I mean, that's, that, that's what I'm trying to capture is, is not just getting them to be successful in class, but to actually give them tools to where once class is done, that they can actually take those tools and go beyond it. Cause if it doesn't go beyond our class, what's the point of what we're doing? Well, I agree with that. I really do. And, you know, another thing I did, too, I was just thinking, um, you know, I played a, a song, A Million Dreams, uh, and I that's the first thing that they had to do for me is uh, on, on Friday, is I just said, I don't want anybody talking. I just want you listening to the words. And what, what I had on the board was our connection, you know, because that's what we're working on right now, connecting to the text. So I put up there that the essential question that I have, I went ahead and put it in queue up there. And the essential question is, how do we connect to a variety of text and writings or something like that? Anyway, and so we talked about, so I had them listen to the whole song and they had to listen to the words and nobody talked. They just sat there and listened. And then I asked them a series of questions and how did the text make them think? You know, like, how did the song make them feel? What did it make them think? So they were already, did it remind you of anything? And so they started, so we started with that. That was really the first thing that we did. And then um, and then I asked them, is a song a text? And they said, well, yeah. And so I said, okay. So when we connect to songs, that's a way of connecting to a text. And then we took them to a text. And then they wrote, and then anyway, so that's kind of how the song, how it all started. But I just think getting them to think about what they're already doing naturally and then turning that and, and using that as a channel into that reading and writing. Because 
to them, some of them it's foreign, but if they're already listening to music and walking down and, you know, they, that's all they have are these things in their ears. I mean, they're listening to music all the time. So if you can convince them that what they're listening to is text and they're connecting to it, then I think you might could use that to tie into the next level of what we need them to think about. So that was kind of how I started. I, uh, I, you know, I, I love music and I, I let students listen to music in my classroom and I, I always play music during writing time and I, I play popular music. Like I, uh, you know, oh, I, I know I can hear it. <laughs> 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 Not really, <laughs> I, uh, but you know, I, I try to play stuff that they enjoy and, and whatever. And, and part of that is just because I think it, it I, I like the culture it builds. I like us being able to talk about music and, you know, we'll debate who the best rapper is or whatever and mm-hmm. um, or, or, or sing along or whatever. But I, I there is this psychological point that, you know, the way I learned to write as a kid, I mean, there, there's two ways. You know, when I was really young and I was writing, I tried to write what I was experiencing. So I wrote a lot of stories that connected to the video games I was playing and a lot of like the books. Like I remember rewriting The Hobbit almost verbatim. I, not the whole book because I was young, but like the first, like the intro and like just kind of copying the the style. But then when I started writing, you know, music, I just wrote songs that were very similar to the songs I was listening to like that. Like I literally wrote with models and I I still do that. Right. Like I, Mm -hmm. when I set out to write a book or something like that, I think of the stuff that kind of fits what I want to do. And I use that as my model text and, and whatnot. And I, I, music is such a ubiquitous piece of society. Like pretty much everyone listens to music, um, Mm -hmm. to some degree. It's, it's very widespread. Kids love music. It's a, I mean, it's a part of social media. It's a part of what they do. And I just, I think that's a great way to, to, to start connecting with them. And, and, and even not in the traditional ways, like the traditional way is, Hey kids, music is poetry too, but it's like, (laughs) Like that, you know, that's something we've all done, but it's like, even on a deeper level, it's like, you know, what's this song saying? Like, why is it effective? Yeah. You know, it's, well, and that's, yeah, that's one of the things I ask is, can somebody tell me what this song is saying? Anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I mean, that's, that, 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 that's kind of like the, the, the broader question that I think is really interesting is like, why, why are these words effective in this order? Right. Like why? Mm-hmm just saying this hit you a certain way and how can you use that in your own writing? And I, I think this is how, you know, to go back to my, what I said a little bit earlier, which is, you know, a lot of people push off writing in because it's really not tested that often. Um, but it's, it's really a backdoor to reading appreciation, right? Because I have a student who she's honors. She's very bright. Um, she, she loves writing. She's already said that. She was like, I love writing. She's like, I hate books. She's like, I've never read a book that I liked. And so I immediately was like, okay, cool. I want to approach you with how my job with her now is showing her text that she can start using in her own writing, right? Showing her text that deals with enough of what she wants to write to where she can start realizing that there's value in taking stuff from this book. Because once she starts reading as if she's like dissecting something going, Oh, I really like the way this is said. Then she's going to go deeper, right? She may never be a voracious reader. She may never read tons of novels, but if she can realize that by reading 
people who are doing what she wants to do, which is right, then she's going to develop. And it, it's such an interesting way to enter into integrate uh, reading into the lives of kids that might lean towards the writing side. They might be a weak reader. They might just not like it for whatever reason. But if they enjoy writing enough, it can serve as this conduit to going, okay, so check this out. Like, check out this passage. Check out this book. Check out the way this is written. What does this do? Like, you don't have to like the book, right? You don't have to enjoy every second. But is there something in here that you can use in yours? And before you know it, you have a kid that's consuming literature at an alarming rate because they're they it's like fuel for their own right. passion. And I think that is that's such an overlooked example of how reading and writing connect. Like we know it's two sides of the same coin, but I feel like we we just forget it so often. But I, I often find that the 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 writing instruction I do uh, creates such a strong reading focus in my students that it's hard to deny when you look at the data we've had over the last year. Well, that's another thing that happened uh, this last week, and that was a little praise went a little way for your school, which is now my school, by the way. Yeah, we got out of our in trouble with the stateness, <laughs> <laughs> which has been well, the case since I've been there, by the way. Correct me if I'm wrong, but... I thought I heard the principal say something about 61% growth somewhere. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we had growth all over the place, but I mean, really, if you look at it across the board, I mean, we, in a pandemic year, I think that's, what's amazing right there with students at home. And, and when, and I'm, I'm should be honest right now, there were decisions that we made as a campus that, were not supported by everyone at district level. There was decisions that like, for instance, they, uh, everyone went digital this year. And I, I remember being on a conver- uh, a phone call with all of the department chairs in English in the district. And they were asking, you know, if we wanted to do all of our practice tests in digital form, I was the only one saying no, the only one saying no and no, nothing against any other teachers. They, they do what they do. But I was like, I don't want to do this because we teach in, we teach on paper. We read on paper. It's already a pandemic year. I'm not changing something else. I refuse. I absolutely refuse to do it. And it, you know, it, eventually it became my principal siding with me and we ended up doing testing differently. And right. Like one of the big pushes this year was doing an early test or last year was doing an early test that got everyone's data in on our campus. And I said, Hey, rather than doing a big test, let me spread it out over time. That way we don't just get one piece of data. I was like, these kids have been out of school for six months. Mm -hmm. I was like, give, give us time to teach them. And then we'll really see because we have a very effective and trusting principal. She trusted this process and all of these decisions that were not normal, that were challenged by a lot of people ended up, Taking a school that is traditionally last in our district, we were third across the board and second in two categories. We had two classes that had a hundred percent pass rate on our state test. This has never happened. We had, I mean, we had this massive growth percentage 
And it's so it, it's amazing to see because one, we all worked our butts off and we all came together and did it, but it was under a year that was so stressful for all of us. And people doubted all of our decisions and we went with our gut because we had the data, we had the research and we understood what our kids needed. And I think that is so essential to doing what we do. And it was all within workshop format here. That's the beauty of all of this is in English. We pushed workshops so hard, and even our new teachers that didn't start that way, they ended in workshop. And our – the workshop format can be scary if you're under uh, standardized testing and you're under things that force uh, you know the, being able to answer multiple choice questions. But it, it mar- – like kids that are successful in workshop become better at those things. And we proved that over and over again last year. And now it just, now we're just walking the walk of, okay, so now that we're, you know, the, the pandemic's not as so holding on our school. It's like now watch us, right? Like now see what happens mm-hmm. because it's the, the success is undeniable third in the district. And we have always been last. We've always been last. Oh. Well, you know, I've been in the district for 30 something years. And I'm here to witness the fact that it's always been in the last, I guess, in the bottom three all the time. I mean, it was considered an, a banner year when it went up to three. Yeah, that was those are the good years, right? And now you're like, I mean, I mean, we're talking reading and, and writing and in math. I mean, yeah, math it too, was math all too. three. And the thing is, and even in social studies, I think we were number two in social studies too. So when you're looking uh, like that in relation to our district, uh, that's it's pretty amazing because there's seven schools is what we're talking about. So that means they, they that you beat to get second six other schools, right? Five other schools. Yeah, I mean, and it's the the the. What's really cool to see, though, in all honesty, right, is like I, I mean, I've been here for eight years. I've seen the the rise and fall, so to speak. I have seen us. We've always been the underdog. We've always been this, and it was it was so nice having a principal that not only trusted my opinion on certain things that believed me when I brought data to her about, hey, we should do this, that believed me when the data showed certain things. I said, okay, it says this, but watch, here's the path that it's going to go, right? Because I was educated on everything because I lived and breathed everything in our department from every teacher. I knew everything that was going on, not in a controlling way, but I was aware of the situation. Mm -hmm. I said, this is the path. This is where we're going to go. And she said, okay, let's go. And then she called me this summer and she goes, Chastain, every decision you made was the right one. And that, and this is not a bragging thing. This is something no, that it, comes, it comes with just being confident in the research, the process, and understanding the students you have. That What we did was so specific to our students that it might not be replicable to every, cl- to every campus, but every campus needs to understand their students at such a level that they can do this because it's, it becomes, it's student-centered. If you're not student-centered, this can't happen. That's true. That's true. So I, I just think I I just thought that was neat to sit there and watch everybody get excited about that. Yeah, it was. Of course, good. you and We've I had already had shared. That. Yeah, it was awesome. And and just from my view, you know, of course, I already told you my my son went there, so I, I'm well aware of. I, I've not lived it like you have, 
but I'm definitely well aware of the struggles that have gone on in this particular uh, diverse socioeconomic, you know, uh, school that has struggled and has struggled for, we're not talking for decades, has struggled for decades. So it, it was a huge, it's a huge move. And so I'm excited to get to, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that my, my young man that said, all right, I'm writing a book. I'm hoping that, you know, he'll get us something here, you know? So that's cool. I'm excited, but I enjoyed the kids this week. And uh, even the ones that are, I would say resistors, you know, they're just trying to see if I mean business and they discovered that maybe I do. I mean, when I say, I want you to write, I'm not kidding so but uh hopefully hopefully we'll get something i'm just hoping i don't disappoint you put a lot of pressure on me there chastain you're not gonna disappoint at all but ladies and gentlemen this is crafted draft pamela cho is not disappointing anyone on the podcast space or at the (laughs) campus but come save this episode share this episode hit subscribe if this is your first time here welcome leave a review if you enjoyed this episode share with your team we talk about reading and writing workshop every single week we drop an episode every single friday you can find us over there craft and draft on facebook you can find the website at craft and that's pamela cho i'm jacob chastain we're at the same campus we are seventh grade public education teachers living our best lives this year going forward we're going to be talking about all the things we've only been back with students for three days down here in texas but the next podcast will have a full week so we'll see if things stay positive or if things take a downturn you never know what's gonna happen um but i'm sure we'll be sharing all of our insights about our experiences with workshop and craft and draft during the school year if you have any questions you can send it to us you can hit a submit a question at craftandjeffworkshop.com you can submit a question at the facebook page or you can just dm me if you follow me on any other social media such as twitter or facebook or directly at teachmeteacherpodcast.com but for everything else ladies and gentlemen know that we are here for you